This is the Zealous Podcast with Rocky Snyder, the show that's all about the pros behind the pros. You're listening to the Zealous Podcast, and this is Rocky Snyder. With me, I've got Mike Potenza. Mike is the strength and conditioning coach for the San Jose Sharks. And before I bring Mike on, I've got to admit that growing up in New England, I mean, the, the Bruins were always that team that you, you wanted to root for, and they always let you down, it seemed. And, and growing up in the 80s with the Celtics, I mean, they were the, they were the dream team and the shining star. So uh, it didn't take me long moving here to Santa Cruz and the West Coast for me to kind of shift my allegiance to be a Sharks fan. And I love going to the Shark Tank and, and have many friends and uh, with season tickets, nonetheless. So I've been there. I was there on the Stanley Cup game six, the unfortunate loss to Pittsburgh not too long ago, but but I was there and loving every moment of it. So Mike, hey, it's a pleasure to have you on. Welcome. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's great. And I will say I too, growing up, was a diehard Bruins fan and and you know, Cam Gilly and Ray Bork. Those were those were my guys in the in the street when we, we were playing late at night. And and uh, you know, it goes back to a time I think Rocky would, you know, not many people would would know this, but Back then, when the Bruins and the Celtics were good, the Patriots were not good. So, they were. They were yeah, the Patsies. Yeah, that was before Bill Parcells came in town, right? And then started it changed, but yeah. everything changed. Yeah, we struggled with being a Patriots fan, but it was great being a Bruins fan. I, I don't. I, I'm not trying to say it wasn't. It was great, and so, you know, we had our we had our time, and then of course. 2011, 2013, we won't mention too much about that, but man, they, they got the Stanley Cup again. So that kind of brought back some nostalgia, I'm sure. And, yeah. but meanwhile, and you've been with the Sharks. Yeah. yeah. The it, we, I had a chance to go there as a kid with my, my uncles and my dads and my cousins and it was amazing. Going into the garden, there was nothing like it. Now I was, uh, you're, you're down in Rhode Island. So you were coming up from the South. Meanwhile, I was taking the tea in from basically right into the North Station from my little hometown, jump on the train and come right in into the garden and, and see Bird and Parrish McHale and then go, of course, and see, uh, well, all Cam Neely, of course, Ray Bork and the rest of them. Yeah, it was a great time. Yeah. And so growing up there, street hockey, of course, that was the thing about New England, though. It, was, it wasn't like being up in, say, the upper reaches of Maine or Minnesota, where you knew that the ponds were going to freeze over. Like half the winter, you weren't yeah. sure if, the pond, if we're going to have pond hockey or not. But street hockey was always there. Sounds like you grew up playing a lot of street hockey. Yeah, that, I mean, like, I think you know, we played a lot of sports that the, the, the systems were conducive to, you know, baseball in the summer and spring, and then, you know, hockey in the winter and soccer from most, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the kids I grew up playing soccer with ended up playing hockey and, you know, it was a good conditioning for, you know, their hockey season. So multi-sport athletes, you know, that the system, you know, I have three kids now, 12, 11 and, and seven and, and 12, 10 and seven. So, it's tough to, it's a tough pill to swallow knowing that like, geez, these systems are so packed the whole year. I can't, yeah. it's difficult to get my kid in. You can get your kid into multi-sports and you should, but at the same time, once they leave one sport, then they're kind of forgotten about. And then now you have to, you know, the elite team, you know, BS that goes on and things like that. But, you know, but that's yeah. growing up three or four different sports a year. That's for sure. Yeah. I, Let's talk about that for a second, just if you would, like the, the year round athlete that has that has emerged in, say, the last uh, 20 years mm -hmm. since 2000 uh, for me is pretty ridiculous because we need cross training. It's great to have specificity to your training regimen, but the, the burnout factor, the I, I just think of soccer with my own kids, the coaches, yep. me being one of them would encourage a little bit more than just the fall season. But before we knew it, now there was indoor winter, then there was spring, and right. then there were summer tournaments. And I, honestly, I think it has ruined so many burgeoning champion athletes, the would-be champions. Would you agree? Right. Yeah, I, I would I would agree. I think, you know, the, the business of youth sport has gotten so big and, and, and look how many camps there are now. Look how many specialized training programs there are. Look how many you know, I mean, you can burn out anything, you know, it's, but, but there's not that, you know, we call it cross training, you know, but there's not that movement literacy from soccer that can transition into, to hockey, not the, 
the hand-eye coordination from baseball and, and wiffle ball and softball that can kind of transition to other um, implement type sports. You, you know what I mean? And then just a breath of, of, of obviously fresh air, you, you know, and um, just to do something else fun, maybe with a whole new, another group of kids. Um, but, you know, it, it's, it, it's, I don't know if it's ever going to change, but, you know, I guess as a parent, you know, what things can you, I always look at, okay, as a parent with my coach's hat on, what can, what, thing, what um, physical attributes can I give my kid if we're going to stay in hockey a lot? What other movement experiences can we do? Can we, can we do kind of a drop-in gymnastics class for tumbling and, and things like that? And, and can we get on a soccer team to help them learn how to run? You know, it's funny because I, I help my kids' teams with dry land. You know, in hockey, we call it dry land. They call it dry land training when it's off-ice or off-ice training. So, and a lot of kids, like, <laughs> where I'm trying to teach them how to run, at, you know, at 12 years old because they're so ingrained in hockey. They look yeah. like a skater when they run, you know. So, again, that's that movement literacy that they, they definitely need. So. Yeah, and you mentioned before the before we got on the air here that uh, some of your players right now that you know, you're you're hitting the gym, you're hitting the ice, but some of the off ice training a couple of days a week, you say let's go hit some balls on the tennis court, and right. so just right there that that cross training is even at the the higher levels, but it seems like it's kind of being lost at the at the younger levels too. So yeah, me, I, go ahead. I, I'd like to know you know for for listening audience. And thinking that uh, a lot of them are uh, young trainers that you are sitting in one of their their ideal dream jobs, which I'm sure you'd probably say it is your dream job. But how did you get there? Uh, what were the steps you took? And then and then we'll talk about other things. But how, how did yeah. you get this role? Because you've been in the, the Sharks organization for how many years now? Uh, 15. Yeah, this 15. is my 15th year. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, more collegiate athletics, a little bit of private industry work. Um, but I, you know, I, I think I stumbled onto Springfield College and Springfield was one of the few at the time uh, that had a really strong exercise science and strength and conditioning undergraduate program. They also had a master's program and a PhD program. So um, obviously it's one of the, one of the better places to go. And, and New England seems to have a lot of good schools like that, Bridgewater State, UConn's got a tremendous program now. Um, so th there are those programs there. You just really got to search for them to get a really good start. The unique part about Springfield was one, the connections, but also two was the internships that were required um, from you to do. So my, my off-campus practicum, my sophomore year was at BU. And then I met Glenn Harris, who's become a great friend and mentor to me. And, and he was the head strength coach at the time. And he was Mike Boyle's first assistant. And Mike was there as well, just doing hockey. And then he had his private business that was really getting going. It was two, two or three years young at the time in 98 for Mike. Um, but now it's obviously massive. So I made that connection and learned a, a shit ton. And it helped me kind of figure out, okay, where am I going to go next? Then my senior field work was at the University of Miami in the spring of 90, spring of 2000. And that was the team that had 11 draft picks in the NFL first round and set a record, you know, it was, and for anybody who's a football fan, it was, it was Ed Reed, it was Santana Moss, it was Clinton Portis, Ken Dorsey, Dan Morgan, like the list can keep going on and on and on, you know, that was an unbelievable experience from a football standpoint to learn. And then another, another um, internship I did was with the International Performance Institute in Florida, and that turned into API. And that turns into Exos. So Mark Verstegen started IPI in Florida and then brought it to API and, now, and obviously Exos. So, so, you know, Rocky, like we were really encouraged as undergrads to go out and get different experiences, you know? So I fulfilled all my uh, practical, practicum experiences and internship requirements, but then I went out and found another one to kind of, when I wanted to leave, I wanted to have a big resume, you know, and have a lot of learning experiences. So it helped me set myself up for the next one, you know? Sure. I didn't want to bank on the fact, I think this is kind of a mistake of the, of, of some young coaches. Now they bank on the fact of one internship at a really high level or well-known place. And then, okay, I'm going to wait for the phone to ring and I'm going to get my first big time job doing with a big time team. That's not the case at all. That doesn't, it doesn't work that way. The more experiences you have, the better off your resume will be. But at the same time, you got to continue to network. You got to continue to talk with different coaches, you know? So, um, that was important. And in and, and Springfield, I was able to work with teams and make my mistakes and design programs. I had a tremendous advisor, Dr. Margaret Jones. 
she was the dean of, of uh, strength and conditioning major, um, um, and both from master's and PhD and undergrad. Uh, so, and then she uh, she's now at George Mason University, I think, in, in Washington, doing the same thing with the strength and conditioning program there. So, yeah, you gotta you gotta you gotta go out and get get as many experiences as you can. If I, I can't stress that enough to the younger younger crowd. What was the hardest part about all these internships? Um, you know, distance and, and money, you know, that like, you know, that's what I, my fear was, you, you know, my, my single mom and, and, you know, to, to be able to go to Miami and, and find a place to live and, and how to pay for a place is, it was challenging. Actually, my brother lived down there um, at the time, my older brother. And so it worked out great. I lived with him. I got a part-time job and I was working in the gym. So I made that work and, and it was really helpful. Um, the Boston, the, the BU one in the summer of 98, I, my buddy, uh, I took the, the train, the commuter rail up from Providence on a Sunday night. I stayed with my, my high school buddy who was at Northeastern at the time because they were doing trimesters. So they had work, um, work related programs. Um, so I stayed with him by Northeastern and I would take the T up to BU and I did that till Thursday night. And then I, I took the commuter rail back to Providence and worked my landscaping job <laughs> to make some money. And, uh, you know, and, and then, the, you know, it was, that was the biggest challenge, but you know what, I made it, I made it work. I got it. Mike Boyle told me, he's like, you know what, if you want to do it, you're going to do it. And if you need help finding a place to make extra money, I can help you, you know, and Mike did Mike allowed me to work for him and make some extra money. Mike's brother had a security company um, in the city of Boston for events. So his brother would stock, you know, bouncers or security for, you know, the Harpoon Bear Fest, um, a, a summer concert series at the Tweeter Center and stuff like that. So all five, eight of me, uh, like, all right, I guess so. I'm getting paid. I mean, you know, I'll just, I'll, I'll just tap my buddy who's, you know, six, two and 300. And I'll say, Hey, get this guy out of here. You know, <laughs> so, so that's, you, you just made, we made it work, you know, and, and but, you know, I got lucky. Rocky, I'm going to tell you right now, I had, I, I, I had guardian angels over my shoulder. I'm truly blessed for every single person that helped me along the way. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be here or I've got to this level without them, not only their education, their mentorship, but their, but their friendship and, and, and just helping me find those answers. If a young person really wants to get into it, they'll, they have, they'll find a path, whether it be, you know, if you can't make it out to you know, if you're a West Coast kid and you really want to go work for Mike and you just can't make it work, you know, there's something local. There's something, there is something local. And, and you know, an example of it is the young, the young kinesiology students here at San Jose State, they haven't tapped into their strength and conditioning program at San Jose State. And Gary Uribe is a tremendous strength coach, you know, and I'm like, just go off of your time, wipe down the equipment. You know, watch the workouts, learn what, how, what his system is, learn what his system is for football versus women's volleyball from men's soccer to basketball. Just go and learn and volunteer your time and, and um, you're really going to benefit from it. And, and that's what I've opened up to as well. And now we have a great little circle of you can go to Stanford and, and get a, a good internship. You can come with me. You can go to Gary Aribe. So there's this little ecosystem of, of strength and conditioning internships around this area now, you know, which is great. That's fantastic. And, and yeah, you might have had some angels over your shoulders, but from what I hear, you, you pursued the opportunities and, and you didn't say no either. And you did whatever it took to, to get where you are too. So, you know, a lot of sweat equity is put into there. And, but I, I understand, I mean, it's serendipitous how I got to be where I am myself and have a studio here for the last 25 years. It's just one of those things that you, you just, you put in the hard work and, and eventually things start to happen, opportunities present, present themselves and so on. Now, another opportunity that occurred that brought you to the Sharks was your connection with former Shark uh, or, or uh, Sharks great Pavelski. Is that, mm -hmm. is that right? Is that how that kind of happened? I mean, I read a little bit of background and I thought, oh, I wonder if that connection helped bring you to San Jose or how did you get here? I like to believe, I like to believe we were a package deal, you know. <laughs> You know, me being the, the, the better part of the package, but you know, I, uh, it just, it just happened. Uh, it, it, you know what, it just happened kind of simultaneously, to be honest with you, you know, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't looking to leave Wisconsin, but I, I definitely wanted to explore the NHL and see if I could see if I can hack it, you know, see if I can, I can do what I wanted to do and what I was passionate about with the crazy schedule, the 
span of ages, the 18 year olds to at the time, 35 year olds, you know, that, that all the programming and individualization and, and monitoring and assessment that goes along with that. And, and uh, just so happened, you know, we had a great year at Wisconsin that year and Joe signed and, and kind of, we both showed up together there at that, for, at that development camp. And, and that, that's, it was, you know, truly exciting and yeah, it's been great, but you know, it's fun. Joe's, Joe's great because you know I've been, again, super lucky. I've had, I had him as a freshman, so I've known, I've known him for, you know, 17, 18 years now. And then, you know, when I got here, Patty Marlowe and, and Jumbo were here. And um, so I've, I've worked with those guys for 15 years and, and Joe was working out with us when he was a Bruin with Mike Boyle. So him and I were both 20, actually 20 or 19. And um, in the summers in Boston and he'd be in the pro group and I'd be helping out with the pro group. So it's kind of funny. It's kind of, uh, you know, kind of a uh, funny roundabout story. You yeah. know? Oh, that's great. Yeah. You know, you didn't really consider it, but you do have an enormous span of age ranges more yeah. so I think than most, uh, most professional sports, because, you know, maybe the NBA, you'll get somebody that's wrapped around in high school but it's right. so much more common in the NHL. And then you've got uh, like Marlo. He's how old's Marlo right now? He's the same. I'm, I'm, I think I'm only a few months older than him and Joe. So he's 40. He just yeah. turned 40. We're talking, we're talking 23 year span. There, you right. don't have too many teams where you have to accommodate. How do you accommodate that? What do you, what are you doing with the younger players compared to the, the more senior veterans? With, with younger guys, like they definitely first and foremost have to know what it means to work. You know, what, what got them to the NHL necessarily has been helpful, but now you're dealing with bigger, faster athletes, less time and space, you know, a much higher skill level that contributes to the speed of the game. The game is more technical. And then you got to do, you have to perform in, in an 82 game season where you don't, where you're traveling a lot, it's high fatigue. So, you know, you're just running your engine faster and hotter for more games. So, so, you know, what, what can we, what, and, and okay, what do we, what do they need from a training standpoint? So a lot of it has to do with learning training habits in the beginning and getting um, your, your work habits down. And then also maybe getting a little bit, getting stronger, adding more force, adding more speed, things like that. Simple, pretty much program you know when you get older you have obviously more baggage you got more you have more you're you're more seasoned but i find with the with the older guys their power and speed is going to deteriorate just because of age so we're constantly working on that we're constantly refining that um, not in a high volume way but a really efficient way if we're going to get volume in it's only for a short amount of time we're going to we're going to work on more factors that contribute to speed and power and um, we'll do them in short bursts and then we'll give them enough recovery and anything anaerobically we're going to get on the ice i only do small doses of anaerobic type training because they're going to get that on the ice through the drills so i don't want to overfill the anaerobic bucket off the ice it prepares them don't get me wrong but if i overfill it off the ice overfill it on the ice then they're going to burn out they'll be living in lactic acid and just getting crushed you know so yeah and what kind of metrics do you do you use to gauge how much? I mean, obviously mm -hmm. there's performance, but are there yep. technologies that you're currently utilizing to see when they're in the zone, when you're, when their threat yeah. is overflowing, so to speak? Yeah. So, um, we'll, we'll heart rate monitor every practice. Um, and we can't monitor games right now, but we'll heart rate monitor every practice to see what, what zone their heart rate is in. If we have a, a a practice that's really a good chunk of time. If, if 15 minutes, that, that 15 to 20 minute window out of a 60 minute practice, if it's above 90% max heart rate, then we know that was pretty anaerobic, you know, based on the algorithms that the system spits out to us. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then sometimes you have to look at the density of it. So, so you could have, you could have a 30 minute practice, but the, the, uh, we call it training impulse per minute. That training impulse per minute is super high, you know? So we have to kind of keep that in mind as well, right? So the anaerobic drive is really high for 30 minutes or the anaerobic drive could be really low for 60 or 70 minutes. We have to find those days and I ideally um, track those days to, to, to 
not only plan our training program, but the recovery schedule out of that as well. You know, does that make sense? Oh, complete sense. And when it comes to recovery, you must have a a pretty solid recovery program that deals with uh, obviously mobility, flexibility, downtime and rest, but nutritional recovery too. Is that something you address or is there a team nutritionist, dietitian that takes that on? We've we've, um, added a part-time nutritionist. Um, She just got her um, registered dietitian's license and she graduated from San Jose State a year ago and she's awesome. And she's actually working with the Niners right now because we're um, on a delay, right? Um, But she's been tremendous. You know, it's it's really helpful with the meal planning, any individualizations that guys need. Um, Supplementation and blood work is kind of my, more of my um, forte and kind of area that I'm really kind of keeping an eye on. We're going to monitor blood work for nutrient loss or deficiency throughout the year three times, but we're also going to, it's going to help drive our supplement schedule. You know, we're not just going to take- like your time spent at APIs now known as Exos. Is that where you're getting a lot of that? No, to be honest with you, I, you know, it's funny because I learned about seven years ago, six, seven years ago, um, a good buddy of mine who's at the University of Wisconsin working with hockey, um, he turned me on to a guy named Jim Laval and Jim Laval has, uh, you know, over 10 books that he's written, but he wrote the metabolic code and the blood never lies. Jim yeah. is tremendous. And, and Jim and I have gotten really friendly and do a lot of projects together. He's, he's one of the, uh, one of our key lecturers for the NHL strength coaches meetings that usually happen in the summertime. Um, and then on for the last three summers here in San Jose, it's a two day course. He talks about metabolism and performance and how important it is. And then he goes over his nutrient timing and dosing. It's, it's wild. I'll share it with you at some point when we're, when, um, you know, when we're not on the podcast, but, but it, it's been super helpful. It's been super helpful because there's nutrients that I didn't realize how powerful they are for our guys based on our anaerobic tax, the anaerobic tax that we go through with training and, and skating. Um, but there's, there's other things that I'm just, I was giving guys that they really didn't need, you know, and based on blood work, you know, we took whey protein out of a lot of guys' diets and their digestion is better. They, they respond better to the plant-based protein, which is great. Um, some of them have gone on a, a chicken type or beef protein, protein powder that's tasteless, you know, and it's, it's done so much better than, you know, the dairy that they were pushing into them um, and things like that. So yeah, super helpful. And I feel just like it's more targeted. It's not a blanket type approach to the supplementation, you know? Well, that's great that you've got an individualized kind of nutritional plan, supplement plans for the athletes. So that leads me into the wondering about individualizing strength conditioning programs for your athletes. Now, obviously the keeper, the goalkeepers are going to have a a different overall uh, approach of of their demands. Uh, But you, do you, uh, create individualized programs based on the athlete, based on their position? How is it that you develop the programs? Because you're dealing with how many, how many guys are on the squad? How many are on the team? Uh, we'll carry 23. 23. You know? yeah. and, then, and then you've got your farm team. Do you deal with yeah. no, I, I have a, um, a strength co- a head strength coach for the farm team down there, Marcello Martinelli. He's been with me for a long time. And uh, I have an assistant, Steve Delestro, who's from uh, – He's from Seekonk, uh, Massachusetts. He, he's a, he's a that, he was at UMass Boston uh, uh, when, when I was at Springfield, you know, and we, we have our paths have crossed quite a bit. So, um, yeah, so keep it in New England, right? Keep yeah, New England yeah. we'll do that. We can go far <laughs> yeah. and wide, but, you know, the roots run deep back there. So exactly. individualizing that program, like if, yeah, how does that work for you? And you yeah, don't have to give me the inner details because this is kind of proprietary information, but just the, the general idea. Well, you know, we have our targets for what we feel like a hockey player, you know, what energy system, what, what, what um, strength qualities we want them to have. Right. And then we look at those buckets, you know, so, okay. With the testing, if we see that somebody's not explosive and powerful, then, okay, they need more rate of force. They need more max strength to start with. So we'll, we have all these different bucketed programs. We have a speed program. We have our um, and speed program for us is the weight training program at high velocities, whether it be through med ball work, whether it be, you know, measuring the bar speed with a, um, a you know, a, a transducer or whatever, you know, we're going to, we're going to move weights with, with intent and with speed, right. And under control, obviously that's the speed program. 
power program is is working in what that 60 to 70 percentage range maybe 70 to 80 sometimes and then contrasting it with a jump or something explosive max strength is max strength you know we're going heavy doubles you know rarely do we do singles if we do singles it's probably because we're clustering um and then you know we just have like a a general a general strength program which is usually around between six to four reps sometimes a five three one you, you know um from jim wendler or something like that um so so we have all these different buckets of programming for the in season right and you know if a guy needs more speed the extra workout of the week will be the speed program we put it up on the board you know so we have we have our speed power strength program you know i put the guys numbers above what program they're going to do and then that's the first layer of individualization the second layer is if through our um, movement screening assessment that we've come up with that we've we've taken from all the taken from fms taken from pri taken from TPI taken from just classic range of motion exercises. We lump all this together and say, okay, what e-brakes are basically on this system. If we have a guy who has bad ankles, we're not going to bilateral squat them until we can free up the ankles. Right? So we'll do a single leg strategy and then that will fit into the, if he's a speed guy, then, okay, we got to find a way to get him, you know, some more range of motion in the ankles. If he's a power guy, we got to find a way he, you know, to get him some more ankles so we can maybe try get him to just be able to do a bilateral squat, you know, it's not the end all be all because we can always go, we're always going to go favor unilateral work anyway. Um, but first layer, what do you need from a performance standpoint? Second layer was mechanical issues, right? We go through all that assessment piece, you know, if they don't have, you know, really good ankle range of motion, we'll get them that. If they don't have really good shoulder range of motion, you know, we'll regress from pressing to more of an incline strategy or a landmine press type strategy, right? Um, so we make those we make those little changes for them, but also, you know, still trying to move them forward in their program, you know? That's fantastic. You know, I, it's so uh, enriching and encouraging to hear that you develop much more of a unilateral strength program than just the traditional bilateral program. Uh, mm -hmm. And it's something that I think needs to be more out there. And yeah that it's happening at the professional level. And you brought up an interesting part that I was thinking about is you have the strength coaches, an NHL strength coach kind of a summit or conference and it occurs in the summertime. Uh, my question is, is that are you guys, obviously the teams compete with each other to become champions. How sure. does it work with you guys though? Are you more colleagues? Is there this kind of competition there? What is that like? Yeah, that's a good question. 15 years ago when I came in, you know, I, I knew, a, I knew a handful of guys and that's really the only guys I kind of talked to and shared ideas with and kind of knew like, like, we don't have, you don't have any secrets. You know what I mean? Like you really, you really kind of, you really don't like, it's just like, I could, you know, I could take the best program in the world and, and I may not be able to implement it in my setting, you know, and, and just the way that the, the way it flows, you know, you can't cut and paste you know, it's a particular program from the, that's being done on the East coast. And all of a sudden, let's just, let's just duplicate it here in, in the Bay area. Like there's a lot of different factors, you, you know what I mean? To that, that, that go into it. Um, you know, but now I will say we are super close um, with, with all of us. We, we have a, such a great um, good group of guys that are sharing and, and we've really come together as a group. We, we have bylaws, we have officers, we, we're formerly known as the strength and conditioning coaches of professional hockey. We have the acronym is SCAPH, S-C-A-P-H. We have our own website where we're pushing out hockey content now. That was released maybe three weeks ago now. Um, yeah, so, so we're trying to do that. We're trying to get hockey content out there and have our event. And our event is more for we meet with the Athletic Trainers Association. We meet with the Equipment Managers Association. And we go through league policy stuff and all that. And there's a trade show, too, with vendors. So we're able to bring vendors in in one spot and see everybody and see what's out there for technology, nutrition and recovery and equipment. And um, the key part of it is, like I said, it's our educational time. So I've, I plan out all the eight educational speakers over two days and we sit and we learn and we have time to pick the brains of, of, the, of the speaker that comes in. So it's become a cool event, you know, and, and hopefully we can expand it to um, amateur coaches, collegiate coaches, private industry, hockey, uh, strength and conditioning coaches to come in and, and, and meet with us and meet with, meet with our speakers, you know, get the CEUs they need. So 
Oh, that's fantastic. Now, obviously, some of the sharks were Olympians too. They made it to the, to, well, not just the U.S., but other nations too. Yeah, so, yeah quite a few. Yeah, quite a few. It was great to see it in the Olympics. And how does that carry over with the, with the countries and the, the national teams that they have? And do you, do you converse or collaborate with, with anybody in that network or is it mainly no. the NHL? Uh, internationally, we've, we've definitely have a lot of connections, not so much with the, um, the ice hockey federations, um, but, but coaches in Europe, in a, many different European countries, I will talk to or, or our, our members from different teams will talk to because there's some great research coming out now on skating and things like that. Um, but for the Olympics specifically, I think I only talked to one team and that was the Germans, you know, the German, um, ice hockey federation has more of a, a, at least in my experience with two Olympics and having German players, they wanted to know where their athletes were at more so than the U S or any other country, you know, because the U S remember these teams are just getting their players while they're in the NHL season and they're plugging into their, uh, yeah. plugging into the event you know that's that's you know 15 20 more days so um i i don't want to say they don't care about where their fitness level is at you know um but but it's it, there's so much going on it's i don't know if it's a priority you, you know what i mean if they weren't fit to play they wouldn't be playing in the nhl season too so i guess that's that's what they're thinking you know yeah now this is a, a really strange time obviously it, 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 to underscore it we just had you just finished with the bubble for the Stanley Cup, you know, unfortunately, neither the Bruins nor the Sharks got to go as far as we'd like them to, but that's okay. That's okay. There's always another season, which happens to be coming up real quick. So yeah. normally you've got some downtime, some off season. Of course, there's then you've got the preseason kind of getting the, the young players come back and maybe some of the season veterans will come in early, but now you're programming. I mean, you've, you've got yourself a, uh, you've got yourself a barrel of monkeys, basically, don't you? I mean, what, what's this looking like for you? Well, we, we started off, it's kind of like we're on our third theme of the, 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 the uh, COVID period here, you know, or, or long off season. So we started off with like home exercise programs and that went like two months, you know, there was different, um, I think I went through three different phases in a two month period of home exercise that they had it was just body weight training. It was, and then it grew into, okay, I have dumbbells and a bike at home. What can I do? I have, I have bands, I have a plate and a vest at home. What can I do? So we're just creating all these kind of, um, you know, made to order programs more so than we ever did, um, for guys, you know, for, with, with different places, some guys had a full gym in their house, you know, some, some veteran guys always invested a, you know, great size gym in their house and, and have a great amount of equipment that we've ordered over the years. So, so that was kind of easy to do. And, um, we've done that in the past, right? So it was so many different things. And then when, when it got to the point in kind of like June-ish or July, early July, and everybody was able to get to a gym space or a rink, then I started this regular summer program, which carried all the way through September 31st. And then, you know, like I told you before, with the individualizations, it was like, okay, what does this guy need that we can work on? Some kid, some young players needed more hypertrophy. So we kept them in a two phase style of hypertrophy, which lasted probably eight weeks. And then we went and transitioned them into two blocks of strength and then a max strength phase and power. Um, and then other guys were different. The older guys was, you know, more of our early corrective type phase one, basic um, two week strength phase, basic, you know, two week max strength phase. And then we got into a speed and a power any kind of um, blend, if you will, uh, for, for two phases. And then that brought us to September. So everybody had this, this, this kind of needs-based program that we were able to plug in for each guy and, and plan it out the whole time. As I told you before, now it's after it's October one or beyond. We, we had the thought process of, okay, we're going to have guys back. We're going to start December one. That's not the case. It seems like anymore. So how are we going to, we can't continue to do block style. I didn't really want to. So how could we do this kind of, uh, you know, vertical integration 
thought process, but you know, in conjugate where we're doing something every single, uh, same qualities every single day, just in a high low type model. Um, and and how, I think that would be the best way to kind of have all everything firing on all cylinders come whenever we start, you know. Um, fortunately enough, uh, uh, we have 10 guys in town right now. Uh, they're able to get on the ice, um, you know, and then I'm planning the sprint work and things like that for them on the ice so that they can keep the high-end sprinting uh, present in, in their training so that we're not trying to hit the gas pedal when we start and we start blowing groins left and right and things like that. So, yeah. So there brings up the next question, most common injury sites and how do you address them? Uh, obviously you've got an athletic trainer there, but in regards to strength conditioning, you've mentioned ankles and you've mentioned groin pulls. Uh, right. Obvious aside from subconcussive or concussion injuries and, and, uh, blunt trauma the mm -hmm. the non-contact injuries what what's your strategy for working with them well we're you know i'm, I'm a kind of stickler for a proper warm-up and the proper warm-up for me every day like that's the one i'm probably more you know uh picky about getting everybody together and doing something than not because that gives us time to obviously prepare to have a productive practice and they're ready to go when they hit the ice they're not warming, you know, getting going, you know, with the first couple of drills and that just cuts, cuts down on our coach's efficiency to that practice. So, you know, through that warm up process where we're, we're addressing tissue, we're addressing any uh, activation type things um, for the guys who have asymmetries, then we address those there as well. Um, orthopedically, you know, we're trying to kind of reset, you know, we have these, these guys, because they're rotational athletes, there's this twisting, you know what I mean? So, trunk and pelvis isn't, you know, where we want it to be. We may be, you know, one, one adductor may be stressed on one side, which can be a, a problem down the road. So we got to address those types of things. And then we hit this and then we do some locomotive activities like high knees, skips, things like that to get the engine revving. And then we finish it off with something CNS driven um, for that. So that's critical for us. There's always going to be core components, you know, whether it be anti-rotation, um, you know, controlled flexion, uh, things like that and um, br bridging, whether it be front bridging, side bridging, resistance to extension, resistance to flexion, things, things of those nature for the core. Um, you know, the, all the small muscles around the pelvis, they act as kind of exercises in our strength program um, as kind of the rest exercise. You know, we may, we may squat, but then kind of do some sort of glute med work or stability type work or in the hips and pelvis and adductors as our rest period and just kind of activate that as we're going. We're not pre-fatiguing it because um, the volume is low, but we want those things to turn on in the pattern that we're doing, um, in the pattern that we're doing for that day on the strength program, so. When it comes to being on ice, do mm -hmm. you do some forms of strength training while they're on ice, on their skates, as in terms of specificity of training, or is that more of a safety issue and you want to try and uh, avoid that? Yeah, no, we really, we really don't. It's not like we're doing, you know, push-ups and, and, you know, no. like a sandbag squat on the ice or anything like that. We're not getting, we're not going that far down the rabbit's hole. You know, I think we're, we've gotten really good as a coaching staff to say, okay, what is a particular player's need on the ice and how can we facilitate improving that with off ice activities, but also on ice activities. So case in point would be, you know, a player who is 170, 175 pounds goes into the corner. He's got to have a, you know, a good level of strength to compete with the guy that's 205, 210, maybe even 190, whatever. So off the ice, we're trying to give him a higher level of max strength upper body and lower body, if you will. Right. And I'll go on the ice sometimes and do resisted band work, do some specific sprint work with them in different patterns at the end of practice or, or things like that. So we, we blend the program together and, and we're all on the same page of what that particular guy needs. Um, I think if you just, you know, address it in the weight room, but not on the ice, then you know, you're missing something, you know, you're losing the messaging there and vice versa. If you're, if you're just doing it on the ice and not in the gym, then you know, the player has to like hear it from all angles. It's like, okay, I can't escape it. They want me to do this on the ice and they want me to do this in the gym, you know, and then they're going to gain confidence from it, you know, so. So you just mentioned the, the propensity for rotary athletes like hockey players to have this counter rotation between say pelvis and rib cage and the importance of trying to centrate it to reduce that counter rotation. And 
where else do you see these kind of, I won't say misalignments, but these strategies, these, these ways of pulling out of the ideal centrated or balanced place? Do you notice it down into the, the foot, ankle, knee complex? Do you notice it uh, into the shoulders because of the way in which they're holding the stick? What, what else do you see? Yeah. Um, you know, if we go to top down, like, you know, you, you can cervically for concussions, you know, you may have a guy with great rotation to one side and then he's stuck onto that side, you know, for whatever reason. So, you know, we need to, we need to address that in the long term for that particular player through soft tissue work. Um, because obviously like he may not be able to turn his head the whole way to look back for the puck, you know, if he's going up the ice, you know, and could leave him vulnerable, not only to a hit, but, you know, instead of, he may have to totally rotate. Whereas if he just looked over his shoulder, maybe he can gain an extra two steps on his speed. Right. So, yeah. so there's that, um, the way we carry our stick, you know, if, if I'm right-handed like this trap and, and my side lean is going to present like this, if they're standing straight up, you know, so we do have to correct those types of things and look at those types of things, um, through a PRI kind of lens, I guess with the pelvis, you're going to see that kind of, you know, long hamstring, you know, short side on one side. So we always have to kind of think about that, you know, first and foremost. And then obviously we went back to that ankle idea and guys may have one ankle and, you know, it's not always bilateral ankle stiffness that we're seeing, you know what I mean? But there may be one that's better than the other, but they create this rotary pattern to get down because they have more room on one ankle than the other, you know? Sure. So and then you've got the effects on the spine are going to be very, and you've got these two different roles that are feeding up. So more to the point of doing unilateral conditioning and strength training, you want to feed yep. into the, the weaknesses and develop them. So if you've got that rotation to the pelvis one glute is going to be just to, to, to name a muscle is going to be in this locked kind of eccentric position while the other one's kind of more passive or shortened. So, so taking those yeah. considerations. So obviously you're doing some type of posture assessment with PRI and uh, you mentioned uh, TPI Titleist Performance Institute, which is a lot of rotary. They deal with golf, but the, it obviously is the same thing with, with hockey and then FMS. Are there other kind of assessments that you use aside from those three? um uh, mechanically yeah 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 uh you know so simple simple like you know they have a dowel here seated 90 position on the table rotation trunk rotation um cervical so you know how much flexion how much extension how much lateral flexion you know we, we can get um and then seated at 90 and then we're looking at total hip arc right so if i take my you know lower my tibia and i'm femur i'm just turning see how much internal rotation how much external rotation you know both sides gotcha. and, and, and interestingly enough you know you may see someone with great extra internal rotation on one side and poor external but then poor internal and really good external so yeah. so there's where you see that kind of pelvic swing you yeah. know and, and so and look we're not trying to we get it like part of being an elite athlete is that you have these asymmetries and you're able to do what you you can do but I think if they go so far down the rabbit's hole and, and go on, um, unaddressed, then maybe a good chance that some injuries are going to creep in. So we want to address it. We don't want to make the, try, you know, make every effort to make them completely symmetrical. You, you know what I mean? But we just want to clean up some of the movement patterns. We, like you said, we want to take anything away from that rotation when we do something bilaterally, right. Or, or, or that, that, ankle collapse, that supination in the feet, right? So. And then like running coaches will videotape their athletes running and then do kind of freeze frame to look at gait patterning, push off, strike and so on. Uh, do you do the same thing on ice with your with your players? A little bit, yeah, yeah, um, a little bit. Yeah, I'm, again, I'm not a speed skating coach by any means, but you know, to the two views I want to give them is what angle are they at in that acceleration, excuse me, position. And then from the front are there, is that foot coming underneath them so they can push, you know, or are they feet wide, just kind of skiing railroad type skating, you know, feet are wide. They never come back to the center where you can get that push. The, the, you know, the, there's, there's, there's these teaching moments or, or, or teaching cues that, you know, we do, we do our unilateral work with that foot underneath us for a reason. Like it's a better position for your spine. There's no doubt about it. And you're going to reap the benefits of single leg work 
from a strength standpoint tremendously. But when you're skating, that foot underneath you looks like that single leg push off. It's underneath you in a pistol. It's underneath you in a single leg squat. It's underneath you in a split squat in a rear foot elevated position. So you have to remember, like, you get that recovery underneath you so you can push again, you yeah. know? Um, so, so we do a little bit of that. I do, I do a lot with my phone and, and sprinting positions off the ice um, because, but, but, you know, look, our, our sprint training off the ice is very, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's 101. It's, you know, it's, it's not like, it's not very, it's not a PhD level course, trust me, because these guys just, you know, are ingrained with skating. So it's not a high level Olympic, you know, uh, <laughs> course <laughs> or, or, or coaching session. I can tell you that. And so. so just kind of looking, we're coming up to the end of time here, but as you can imagine, I could geek out and chat with you all day on this stuff because there's so much that you can unpack in what you do. And, and it's, just a, it's just a joy to, to converse with you with this, but looking off into the future, and, and of course we can't predict anything, but just let's say that the season begins in February and it's going to carry, normally it goes, I mean, Stanley's in, in June and, and the season starts October. It, so we're looking now into maybe September, October, if you have your normal season, how, yeah. how, how's that gonna work for your, for your programming if we have a full season beginning in February? You just move, you just shift everything in terms of your, your programming and, and all your coaching, the nothing changes or what do you see changing? No, well, I think, I think, uh, you know, initially the ramp up uh, when we get everybody, let's say we know when we can have training camp, we're really going to push for guys to get, get back to San Jose five, four at the four at the very least weeks prior. So we can be together we can refamiliarize, you know, become a team, you know, and, and train together and get prepared, you know, and that's going to take, it's going to take a good six weeks to get up to speed, you know, the speeds that we want going into training camp. And I think the first and foremost, my, 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 and if we return, when we return, it's going to be condensed. You, you know, I don't, I don't know how, how deep in the summer we will go and have a full 82 game season. You know, they do have a template from the old lockout in 2012, 2013, where we played 48 games and we started in January. So we may have a little bit of back cushion in July before the summer Olympics start, you know, to maybe get half a season or, or more than or, or more than half, possibly, hopefully, fingers crossed, you know. Um, so with that being said, there's going to be a compression. There's not going to be an all-star game. There's not going to be a week off. So my volume, I, my first instinct in, in talking with my assistant, Steve was like, okay, we may have to cut down. We're going to cut down the volume. Obviously um, we'll still have our bucketed program. We'll still make our, um, uh, our, our, our individualizations based on what buckets guys need what strength qualities guys need and what mechanics, what mechanics we have to clean up. Um, but I would say we're going to try to go with like a, um, uh, Dan John kind of thought process of let's do something every day. Let's just make one big exercise every day. Um, and, and that's where we can cut the volume and maybe just do, do a kettlebell swing, do some sort of hip hinge and then do maybe two assistive exercises and then we're done and in our, in our warm up too. But, um, and then that's, we're done for the day. Maybe it's a, maybe it's an upper press. Maybe it's a, some sort of triple extension movement, like a, uh, like a clean pull or a snatch pull or, or, or something to that nature or some sort of explosive weighted jump. Um, and then let's do two assistive exercises and let's get the, let's get them out of here, you, you know? So we're yeah. not going to be taking as much time and doing assistive pairs and, and longer primary exercise volume and sets and reps. We have to cut that way down. And if we could just do a little bit of dosing every day, like that micro dosing idea, then I think we'll be okay. I do think we'll be okay. That's kind know? of exciting though. I mean, you to, to take your traditional program morph it in such a way that it's, it's something different, but you're hopefully having the same outcome and see actually what the outcome is. I mean, yeah, that we're okay. doing human, human trials here, but boy, that's, right. that's exciting to see what, what might transpire. Will that change your philosophy or will it further reinforce what you're already doing? You know, what we, what we've done over the last six years too, rock is um, you know, we, we 
we basically test every month. You know, we do a three RM bench, we do a three RM trap bar. We're measuring bar velocities at that at that um, weight. So we're getting we're we're getting some sort of max strength number that we're determining in one RM to see if it's falling off throughout the course of the year. We're also doing jump scores and jump test scores um, to measure explosive ability throughout the throughout each of the months. So. We haven't seen my, my benchmark is 10%. If, if we're dropping more than 10%, then the program isn't doing what it's supposed to be doing, you know? Um, and we haven't, we haven't seen that over the course of six years and, and that's been great for us, you know? So that's, that's been huge. We've looked at velocities of, of, of a particular weight in the second half of the year, because I don't, I'm, I got, I'm getting more gun shy as I'm getting older and I have older players where, you know what? I don't want to do a three, three RM trap bar in February when uh -huh. we've been on the road and guys are beat up. So let me take my heaviest trap bar from December where they were, you know, less games, less wear and tear. Let me take the heaviest trap bar and then let me back off and see what we did for one meter per second. Was it 225? Boom. Let's hit that. Let's just make sure neurally we're driving, um, you know, the speed of the bar with a lighter weight in February, you know, instead uh -huh. of the, the, the heavy lift, you, you know what I mean? I so, do. I do completely. That sounds great. We've been tracking it. We, we track that throughout the month and, and you're right. That's, this is going to be a nice little kind of case study, if you will, of, okay, we're going to cut down our program. Can we still see less than 10% drop off? Yeah. So. Uh, well then maybe somewhere at the end of next season, whenever that might be, I'd love to have you back on and we can just discuss like where it was, where you are now and how did that, that how, what was the outcome? So. I know you've got to get back in there and you've got more training. So I really appreciate you taking this hour and just hanging out with me and uh, definitely welcome you over to my studio on the other side of the yeah. mountain here. And anytime we'll, we'll organize that. And uh, you can see definitely. how we, we put the surfers, not the skaters through. The <laughs> That's great. I'd love to. I can't wait to do that. We'll definitely plan for that. Well, that's a wrap for this week. And if you missed last week with Vern Gambetta, make sure you click on that and listen in because that was fantastic. And then next week, we've got Brandon Marcello. Brandon is, well, he's trained Olympians and military, and he's a performance enhancement specialist as well as an amazing lecturer. And you're sure to learn a lot because I know I will. Thanks for listening. <laughs>